and exhale. Amit, they did it. They did it. Woo! Wasn't stressful at all. <laughs> You're not a pool of sweat. You're yeah. fine. It's winter. Yeah. yeah. No sweating allowed. Uh, the U.S. <laughs> men's national team are into the round of 16 at the World Cup. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's a very happy Amit Malik. Uh, the bell curve, basically, right? Yeah, not the the order we expected, but one win, one uh, two draws, two draws. Yeah, but uh, two That's draws and a yeah five points, a little more than four, but got through out of the group in second, which is the outcome we both expected, the most likely outcome for the United States, narrowly the most likely, and then it happened, and it was also narrowly achieved. Uh, it took a one goal win against Iran and we'll talk later about the, the last step of the bell curve, but it sets up a round of 16 match against a Netherlands team that is beatable. So they're not going to be favored, but they have a chance credit to the United States. This was a young team. It would have been easy to adjust the expectations, but I think we rightly said this team should get out of the group second and they did. And it wasn't pretty, but it often isn't at this level. So I, yeah. that's where we start. Uh, yeah, that's exactly where we start. I think that there's a lot that you can say about this game, about this performance, about what they did in the group stage. At the end of the day, five points from the group stage is a good result, right? A good first half yeah. against Wales, a bad second half against Wales, a good, not great game against England. Like, very quickly, I know we already talked about the U.S.-England game. I'm not having this narrative that the U.S. like played England off the pitch and they were so much, but it was a very good performance. It was a performance worthy of a point. That's what they got. Congratulations. Anyway, we don't have to focus on that. Oh, both both teams had an XG of below one in that yeah. game. So no one could claim to have played anyone off of anything. Yeah. Like, All right, continue. It, it was well done. It was a good game. They got what they deserved for their performance, which was a point. And then a game against Iran that was probably sweatier than necessary but got the job done, right? And I think at this level, that is what matters. And that's what we talk about all the time. Small sample size, World Cup group stage, low event football. The U.S. got it done in all of those situations. Like, can you come out and say that they are this great team that's firing in all cylinders? No, you can't. And there were moments today when they very easily could have thrown it away for various reasons. And against a different team, they perhaps could have. But none of that matters because they beat the team that was put in front of them and they beat them, I don't know that handily is the right word, but they beat them and they got through. And that is exactly what matters. Into the performance itself, this was pretty good from the USA, right? They dominated things in the first half. They kind of slowly but surely broke Iran down. Really good late run from Christian Pulisic. Really good assist from Serginho Dest. We said that this was a game for Serginho Dest, and it was. Yeah, he was excellent uh, being as wide as he was as a fullback, turning into a winger, and a great ball from Weston McKenney. And I think Greg Berhalter said it well in his post-match interview with Fox. The first half was the United States showing the quality of their soccer. Iran is a very good defensive team. The U.S. broke them down. And the second half was about their team determination. Um... And they did. They defended when they had to, even though it was scrappy and ugly, but they got the win. And that's what matters. And the U.S. 
throughout this whole group stage has played perhaps better than maybe outsiders expected or up to the level that we thought they could, but the results haven't always been like they tied Wales. They tied England. Like they could have done better in both of those. And then here they come against Iran. They need to win extremely nervy. This was from opening whistle to final whistle about as nervy as a match you can get for a, not a knockout. Right. Like, yeah, I, it was I a just, knockout match. Like it was the second a match, yeah. The second England stopped playing with their food, this became a knockout match, right? And that's yes. what it was. And the U.S. was able to thrive in that sort of situation. And some of that comes down to the approach that Iran took. I don't know that they were necessarily misguided. I think Iran's problem in the first half of this game was that they struggled to string together the passes necessary. Like. I'm not going to fault one of the best organized teams in the world for choosing to play a system that requires them to be organized and to defend because for the most part, they did it pretty successfully. But they didn't control the ball enough to the point where it wasn't like a constant stream of the U.S. going at them. And they needed to connect, whether it was long balls to Taremi and Osmoon, whether it was intricate link play through the midfield, they really only had one sequence in that first half, and it was early, right? Where they yeah. kind of strung together a couple of passes, and you're like, oh, this could get interesting for the U.S. Other than that, they pretty much failed to create and take advantage of two-on-three situations, which is kind of what we talked about pregame, and that played into the U.S.'s hand. Correct. I think that a few factors here. For the third game in a row, the United States midfield, especially yeah. when all the legs are good, is some of the best in this tournament uh, in terms of physicality, in terms of controlling, dominating the game, they play they want. It's not the technically most proficient. This is not Spain's midfield. This is not Croatia's. But just in terms of their ability to control the game, Adams, McKenney, Musa is up there with anyone right now. And that's by design. They're that good. Iran could not play out of the back because the pressing from the midfield was so good. Second part of it, and this is into a discussion we can have now or later, Greg Berhalter made a big change at center back to put in Cameron Carter-Vickers in the starting lineup instead of Walker Zimmerman. And Carter-Vickers is a little faster, a little better with the ball at his feet, but Carter-Vickers, Zimmerman, and Adams were just dynamite in every three-on-two, in every two... Ream, sorry. Yep. Did I you say got your, you got, Yeah, you got your big Zimmerman white on players with long hair yeah. mixed up. Yeah. Understandable. So it was Reem who has yep. been excellent for the U.S. Yep. all tournament. It's insane to me that Tim he was Ream close was just left out, like never in the picture for this team. It was like, oh, that Tim Reem guy is doing pretty well at Fulham. And credit to Burhalter, who has been a guy who has been criticized for sticking with his system, right? For being a slave to the system that he's trying to put in. He hasn't necessarily blooded players into that system that has maybe left them out. He took a chance and brought in a guy who had been on the outside looking in at this picture and then let that guy start all three groove stage matches. And Tim Ream has been good for the U.S. defense. He, he's he been really calm, really composed. That matters. And then CCV hadn't played the first yep. two matches. You, you worry bringing on a cold center back against Osmoon and Taremi, and he was good. So that got right. And then the first half, the U.S. was very good with the ball. They were just measured. They didn't commit too much. Their fullbacks got very high. If yeah. you look at the passing network, it was like a 2-1, 4, 
one eye. I can't do yeah. math, but well, it was the, really, the really good. From, were very yeah. involved and also were the U.S.'s best chance, right? You have to stretch around yes. wide. Anytime that the U.S. tried to go through them, like that's not going to work against this team. And it didn't work, whether it was Pulisic or Musa or whoever it was. But they got the ball wide and then on the goal, reversed the field twice, right? They went from the left, the long ball over the top, Des picks it up, and then he brings it back across the late run for Pulisic. That was what opened Iran up and created the opportunity and the goal. Totally. It was a perfect sequence, and that's what it takes to beat yep. a, a Ron team that's defending well. And that's how Greg Berhalter envisioned his side playing with the ball. It was just all the right things. And to cap it off, Pulisic, that's what he does best. Yeah. Is when he is the runner into the box, when he is the finisher, not necessarily the dribbler, the trans creator. And the U.S. needed that from him, and he delivered. So yeah. overall, great first half. Greg's three games gotten his tactics right to start. From the start, yeah, for sure. And then... For the third game, we've also seen he's second let half. Me touch, let me Go touch ahead. quickly on the first half. One, a couple other things. I told you in the first half, I said, for the U.S. to score, it is either going to have to be something that is really high quality or absolute garbage to beat this Iran <laughs> defense, right? Like, you need yeah, something that's yeah. going to deflect off two people or is really high quality, and they created the high quality chance because Dest was really good and Pulisic was faster than the Iranian players, right? And you have to be significantly faster because they're a tricky group in that they're not fast, but they're generally always well-positioned. And they got sucked up. The long ball beat them, and that created the space for Pulisic to run into. Perfectly placed ball from Dest, and Pulisic does enough to force it home. And that's exactly the chance that you want to create, and that's exactly the person you want finishing that chance. In the second half, for maybe the third straight game, Greg Berhalter was a little bit slow to change. I don't know that he was necessarily slow to change here. I don't know that he necessarily made the right changes. Some of them were yeah. enforced. Obviously, Pulisic off at halftime was not in the plan for the U.S. But beyond that, there were interesting decisions made, it's fair to say. Right. I think he was slow to get Dest off. Yeah. Because I maybe Dest was doing the thing where it's like, why are you in the center circle? You're the right back. <laughs> You're up one in like a must win, no draw game. Please stop. Yeah. But it was it was fine. It worked out fine. But other than that, I mean, yeah, the changes were more wrong. <laughs> I have to say, Haji Wright, who was fine against England, was the wrong guy for this game. I yeah. get he's a quote-unquote transition forward he's good on the counter he's fast his defensive work rate was not great his decision making was worse and he just didn't give the u.s an outlet one thing we haven't we've gotten this far without mentioning i think is okay josh Sargent was good in his yeah. hold-up play for the united states job. he did his did job. job he didn't score but he did all the right things and he allowed the u.s to build up and get the ball wide by occupying iranian defenders and holding it up. Okay, great. Haji, they needed more hold-up play. That's what yeah. you need when you're trying to keep the ball and sustain pressure. And he had almost none of it. I don't know what's wrong with Jesus Ferreira. So yeah. hopefully it, the next time something like this happens, uh, you you would sub him in. And then, okay, Kellen Acosta comes in for McKenney. That's fine. I think yeah. Kellen Acosta is a center defensive midfielder. But what we're both really quibbling with is the subbing on Moore and Zimmerman to go to five in the back just with too much time left. Yeah. This was, I saw baseball writers 
I saw football writers on Twitter, and they both had the same take. And this is how you know that this was bad, is that they said, why is the U.S. playing a defensive style when Iran couldn't keep the ball and you were taking it to them and controlling the game? You ceded control. And then you just had to defend for, what, 18 minutes? Basically last-ditch defending, five in the back. And there are a few factors that, you know, I understand. The legs were tough for the United States, right? Outside of Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson, who subbed on a halftime, everyone looked dead. Yes. Okay. But Iran's legs were worse. worse. (laughs) Iran had no legs. So why are you just sitting back and letting them hoof the ball? They go, go. Brendan Aronson was okay in holding up play, and Haji. Brendan Aronson is the player that needs people to run with him, right? Yes, he's the type of player who is key to your press, but you also need two to three guys running with him so he has options. Yeah, and if he's gonna run and you're gonna run with him, then it becomes stretched, and the U.S. don't need stretched. You need someone to do defensive work rate, which Aronson can do, but his defensive work rate is offensive, which I think we understand because there's pressing. Anyways, it was just off, a little off from Burhalter, but he survived. And Iran had, let's say, three really nerve-wracking moments, right? Yep. Have uh, a cross in that kind of gets headed just, what, a foot wide yep. of Matt Turner's right post. And then they had a penalty kick in the closing stages, a shout where Cameron Carter-Vickers puts his hand in the back of an Iranian striker, and he goes down mostly, VAR, no penalty. But the chance Iran is ruining is the one where it fell to the striker, and he has the whole right yeah. side of the goal, and he can't. And Yeah, this was a, a cutback to, to, to Godos that yes. kind of dummied over, created some contact, and Godos had a pretty good chance at it and couldn't put it on target. I think... I, I like I understand the move to the three center backs, five at the back. I just think it came too early. That's the move you make when it's into stoppage time, right? right. Like, I think I, what happened is they saw the the header I'm talk I talked about yeah. the first of the chances, and then they were like, "Oh my gosh, we're they're just gonna cross. We need numbers in the box to hoof it away." So I get bringing on the third center back, but they just immediately were parked, which I, I don't know. Like is. It worked. Was it the right answer? You don't want to give up a goal, but you're asking for the goal. The U.S. just aren't good at seeing the game out like that. Yeah, I think against a better team that could have gone differently, against a team that had more legs that could have gone differently, I think it's it's important to point out here for Iran, it was pretty clear that Sardar Osman was not 100% at basically right. any point in this tournament. He got haul off at halftime for Godos, who gave them a bit more flexibility in running. And I think that you know, that was something we touched on in breaking down this game, was the link up between Taremi and, and, and Osman would be important, and they just didn't have that. And the U.S. did a, a very good job of taking that away, generally. And then at the end, they were just, Iran was just gassed. They needed more depth to bring on players who could change the game. I think... It's interesting that Jahan Bash wasn't able to play in this game. I think that would have made things differently because he would have been a wing player that could have run a bit for Iran and could have maybe not provided the finish, but been the type of player to run into a position to then create a better opportunity. And they just didn't have a player who could break down the U.S., and so they just had to resort to hoofing into the box and seeing what happened, looking to create dead ball opportunities to get numbers in and create chaos. And that's just not a super effective way of playing and chasing a goal. 
Right. Spot on. They needed someone to get the ball in dangerous areas, either by dribbling take-ons or by hanging out in space, by running into it, and they had neither. So it was pretty dire, and they still had a penalty shout, but overall, the U.S. got across the finish line, and the final XG, um, I've seen it different a few places. Um, The one I'm going to go with from Michael Cayley's graphic was 1.2 to 0.7, which I think tells you that yeah. Especially the the United States, if you look at the map, ton of shots are on the box. Uh, the Pulisic chance was the highest one. Obviously, it was a cross point blank, and he scored. And then yeah. Iran point seven. Yeah, they did enough, right? They, yeah, I think I think their two best chances on a different day could have gone in. Yeah, this was a game that I think went pretty well for. Like this was inside what Iran could have expected to happen today, right? Like. Being down a goal, needing a goal with seven with twenty minutes to go, like that's hopefully something that they would have been prepared for in the buildup. Like this is a situation that we could absolutely face, and they just didn't quite have enough to to do it. And that's credit to the U.S. for getting in that situation and for getting through. And now they're kind of playing with house money, right? Like, yeah. Regardless, this World Cup is a success for the U.S. They've gotten a ton of young players, a ton of experience. And they are talented and dangerous enough that they can cause problems for the Netherlands based on what we've seen from the Netherlands in three games in this tournament. Yeah, I think we could talk about the Netherlands. They're a team yeah. that play five in the back. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. The Netherlands are a team that play five in the back. They have three very good center backs in Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake, and Matthias Delict. Delight as uh, Derek Ray will say. And they have very good midfielders, but because they play with five in the back, they leave space. And that's by design. Their kind of offense is we're going to leave Cody Gakpo high and just let him cook. And boy, has he been cooking. Yes, He's scored three incredible goals. Uh, When you watch their offense, they don't attack with a ton of numbers, but they're just creative enough to do it. Now, they've played three teams that are solid. Ecuador and Senegal are actually good defensively, but They've gotten away with Gakpo low XG chances. He scored three goals on 0.26 XG. So while I am terrified of Cody yeah. Gakpo, he's used up a lot of good luck. That's yeah. the spin zone for you. Anyways, we can talk about that more, but just know, I'm sure you're going to see this online by the people who know what they're talking about, and we think we do. The Netherlands are a very beatable opponent for the United States, and if their midfield three is healthy, they will they will do the same kind of thing they did against England, yeah. which is be miserable to play through two managers that I think this will look like the England U S game. So and I think there's a significant, not significant, but there's definitely a difference in top class attack. Like England possessed more top class attacking talent to, to worry you than the Netherlands does. We don't really know what's up with Memphis Depay. Like, is he healthy? He started today. He played an hour, but like, is he healthy enough to make a difference on a game? Like you said, their offense has pretty much consisted of Cody Gakpo doing things, which, as you right. said, is a terrifying thought and could absolutely happen again in a round of 16 match. But it's certainly not the type of game where you would expect the U.S. to be heavy underdogs played off the pitch trying to just survive. It's not going to be that type of game. It's an interesting round of 16 match. We'll have plenty of time to, to talk about it for you to get nervous, to get sweaty. Friday's podcast we're staring at the possibility of U.S. and Argentina both playing on Saturday, and if they both win, meeting in the quarterfinals. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but that is a possibility here. 
other game of this group, England, I, I said it earlier, Amit, and I'm going to stick by it. England played with their food before they ate it today against Wales. They just kind of sat around, passed, looked to make a couple of incisive runs, went to halftime at nil-nil, and basically the whole time had this smirk of, at some point, Wales are going to have to attempt to play. The second they do, we are going to pounce. England got a free kick. Marsh gets Rashford, scored a banger. First free kick goal of this World Cup. They got up 1-0. And what did Wales do? They said, oh, no, we got to play because now we got to score twice. And pretty much the first time all game, Wales attempted to play out of the back. Their center back passes to the left back. The left back immediately loses possession and England immediately score. It took 15 seconds from when Wales decided, all right, it's time for us to play for England to double their lead 2-0. This was pretty peak Gareth Southgate. The high level attacking players overrode England's kind of non-committiveness to sending numbers forward. And look, they didn't really need to in this game. They knew exactly what would happen. And that's what happened. Yeah, the game state heading in was bad news for Wales. It was yeah. perfect for Southgate's approach. And then it went as expected. And did South Southgate would have been fine rolling the same strategy out, 0-0 the whole way. And he got a golazo from Marcus Rashford. Yep. There's a re- <laughs> It's really tough to score on free kicks, and that was filthy. So yeah. credit to him. Harry Kane, good assist to Phil Foden. England no goals are- for Harry Kane. I mean, no, but he's been good. Still time. Still time. He needs a penalty versus Senegal. Um, yeah, no. It, 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 we'll see if he gets on the score sheet. But this is England. This is what yeah. they do. It's really frustrating. It's been three games, and they got through with five points, and they have yet to... Seven. They won this one. Seven. Sorry. Seven. Say, say there. Sorry. They won this one. But seven points, and they've yet to flex their muscles in attack. And the best part is they won't do it against Senegal. And if they get through... Then they'll play a good team, perhaps, and then they also won't do it. Yeah. It's just you, they'll gonna go the whole tournament the day they get out or win, which could happen, probably won't. Doing nothing, doing no flexing of muscles until they go down a goal at some point. Then we'll see what they can do. But ah, uh, it's so frustrating watching this team. But it's like Garrett Garrett's out. I mean. Landon Donovan said this on his very first broadcast in color, and I don't think this is a groundbreaking idea, but this is just an explanation for all the themes of this podcast of what you are seeing on the field, you, the viewer and listener. The World Cup is ruled, this type of soccer is ruled by fear. You just are scared of giving up goals. You're scared of doing what Jod Herndon did. You're, if you're Greg Berhalter, you're up one. You're scared of being too open and giving them a chance in the break. Garrett Southgate's whole approach is... I've got slow center backs. I don't want to go and leave them out to dry. And instead, it just leads to this boring, mind-numbing soccer when he has the most expensive front line in the world. Whatever. We'll see what ha- – not the most, but yeah, we'll see what that. happens for them. i just so frustrated by this team, but it's working. And this is, this is why England have made deep runs yep. two tournaments in a row, and they're primed for a third. And, yes, they've been lucky to get through – but they, in a sense, they make their own luck by limiting the game to so few events. So, credit to them. Please, Senegal, please make them play. That even if you don't win, make them play, please. Okay, go ahead. You, uh, you've learned from past podcasts. You're no longer teasing results. You're not asking the listeners to get their World Cup news from World Cup After Dark. Nobody's tuning into the podcast. Like, oh, I wonder what the results were. Can't wait for the guys to tell me. Don't want it spoiled. Senegal through to the round of 16, 2-1 winners over Ecuador. 
this was disappointing and frustrating for Ecuador a bit because I think they just didn't have it today. And it was the day that they needed to have it. Um, they were a little bit too open, which was a bit surprising considering what we know about Ecuador and their preferred game state. They committed a not good penalty, right? Piero Incape tracking back in defense just didn't slam the brakes and ran right into the attacking <laughs> player. And like, yeah, that's going to get called. Senegal took a fantastic penalty. Ecuador built into the game into the second half. They got back on a dead ball situation. Moises Caicedo. And immediately two minutes later, they gave it right back on a dead ball situation the other way and lost 2-1. And they just didn't have enough down the stretch. This was tough. It was frustrating for a team that we really were impressed with and that we liked in this tournament. The future is really good. But this was a missed opportunity. They should be in the round of 16. They should have been. They should have been with the draw outcome on their side today. And you would think after, you know, they, they were let off the hook. Not let off the hook. They played, they had the wrong approach in the first half. We agree they were too open. And yeah. I understand you don't want to play for the draw by being closed. Yeah. Right? You want to come out, but they were, they, it was too chaotic. And, yeah. and, okay, penalty, great penalty. So they were down one. So I'm not going to say they were let off the hook. They were down, but they were only down one and one goal got them in the game. So yeah. it was fine for them in the second half to get the outcome they needed. And they did. Ecuador so good at attacking set pieces and they took a really good one. And then you just, it's the, it's an old adage. You're most vulnerable when you just score. You just got the tie you needed. I'm not saying shut it up, but it's a set piece. What do you? What other chances are there in these kinds of games? There happen, but like, you, it's the brain, right? And yeah. I'm not saying Moises Caicedo, great player, was great for Ecuador all tournament. He's been awesome, but he just loses a center back, right? Yeah. It's his man he's marking, and a lot of what you see now on set piece strategy is two balls, right? It's the first ball and then back yeah. across, or it's a rebound. You have to go through your marking the whole play. He just, he just his feet get planted, like you said, and Koulibaly is a good set piece threat for Senegal. Yep. And that was the design. They, it worked exactly it, like Senegal wanted it to work. It was also a very poorly given fat. Like, yeah, shouldn't be. It giving was just away more fouls. naive than we expected from Ecuador in yeah. approach in set piece, defending in approach again, once they tied the yeah. game, really frustrating for a team. As you said, we were really impressed with. And I yeah. think the, the, the part you started with is they also didn't have it today, right? They didn't yeah. really create a ton once they were down 2-1, and that was disappointing. And also, maybe Ander Valencia was a little lucky to be hot yeah. in two games, yeah. right? And he's not that good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's frustration, definitely. I, obviously, I, I'm, I'm happy for Senegal. Great story. They deserved it, more than yeah. deserved it, to get through this group. I think they were not favored or... When Sadio no, Mane went down, sure. we all thought, oh, this team doesn't... I said, they don't have enough attacking talent. And look, they scored a penalty in a set piece, but they were better on the day, and they navigated the group well. So very well done. Ecuador also missed Mendes. Yes. Yellow card accumulation yes. suspended for this game. It really went to show how important he was in their midfield. Not in the sense that he was doing a lot like actively, but he allowed other players to do things. And so Ecuador kind of didn't have a player to replace him from the start. They put on Cifuentes and that made them better, I think. But that was a big miss for them. And when the game kind of got chaotic in the first half, they needed Mendez back there to kind of settle them. They didn't have that. They gave away the penalty. 
and they're out. And like you said, this is really good for Senegal because they were good in this tournament and they took advantage of their opportunities today and they are well-deserving of their spot in the round of 16. And they bounced back from having lost their first game. Like that's difficult to do. They were on zero points and they finished this group on six points. Well done to them. Interesting that we saw two teams that had the benefit of the draw today not get the job done. And they kind of took two different approaches, right? right? In that Iran attempted to shut up shop. It didn't work. Ecuador attempted to kind of go play and it didn't work. So yeah, tough. Yeah, very fascinating. I, I'm not sure. I don't think you are. You're not suggesting either. But I'm not sure the common thread. But it is odd. Yeah, that happened. It's just it's weird coincidence. Yeah, it else. is. But um, l- last note on on what you're seeing for these teams, right? When you're trying to control transition soccer and control the game state, your center defensive midfielder is yeah. turned into this tournament the most important player on the field. Brazil have Casemiro. That's why they're so good. U.S. has Tyler Adams. That's why they're so good. England, gosh, I hate them, but they have Declan Rice, and he yeah. allows them to do their boring defensive structure. Declan Men, Rice and his empty suitcase. <laughs> still, still room, still yeah. room. Uh, and Mendez is that guy for Ecuador, yeah. and they missed having him. Um, and so that's that's how it goes. So yeah, it's a bummer. But Senegal, England, we can break that down more on Friday. Um, we've talked about these teams, so you know what to expect. Senegal have a chance for sure, but it's just going to be ugly. Yeah. England could have their way with Senegal if they went and attacked, but I don't think they will because they'll find a way to be scared by Senegal's transition. Which Senegal could not. really use Sadio Mane in that game against England, right? Like he's the exact You need to be opportunistic. Yeah. They would need a game-breaking player coming back the other way, and unfortunately, they won't have him. Very quickly... Netherlands beat Qatar. Qatar are out of this tournament. They were out of this tournament. They did not score today. The Netherlands never really got out of third gear here. Uh, Cody Gakpo scored another goal on low XG from distance, and then they just kind of turned it up slowly from there. It's interesting to see this Netherlands team because I don't think either of us think they're very good, but they also might just get into the quarterfinals by never having to play anyone good, and that's sometimes how the World Cup goes. Yeah, then that's why that's the very first thing we said about them when we did our one big question for them. Are they a top tier contender? And my answer was no, but because of their path, they're going to probably be in the quarterfinals. And we just talked about why the United States uh, will be better than maybe the odds or better than average. Why they can give them problems. Why they can give them problems. But the Netherlands will still be favored and rightfully so. They have a lot of quality. Frankie de Jong is still really good and he's been on the fringes for them quietly affecting the game. He's awesome. But yeah, Louis Van Hall got through this group in first place. Job done. This is so far, so far we've seen two groups and they've for the most part, no shocks at the top. Yep. No shocks at the top. And you already look at Brazil, France, no shocks at the top. This is, it's weird that this is what the sorry, this is what the good teams are doing. They're eliminating variants, taking care of business. Everyone has the answers to the test now. Yeah. Everyone does, and so this is the results of that. Credit to Louis Van Hall again. We don't like his style. We think they're suspect for an upset, but he he got the job done. And and look, this was a Qatar team that was not really going to provide much of a fight. No, nope. they get to run up the goal tally. No home soil boost for Qatar. It never really showed up in the end. Nope. Uh, bummer. Scored Not actually. Scored yeah. a goal. Yeah. Congrats. You scored a goal at your home World Cup. Uh, all right. Tomorrow, 
Second day of deciders, Group C and Group D. And Group D, which we'll go first, is headlined by an underdog team with the advantage of a draw playing against a favorite with a chance to go through. Australia against Denmark. What will we get in this game? This one's interesting. Uh, if you've been listening the past few days, I really like looking at the 538 probabilities. I think they're illustrative of what to expect. And this is one of the only ones where the team that has the draw is still less than 50%. In fact, it might be uh, Australia 20% to win, 28% to draw. So Denmark, even though they need the win, only the win, 52%, which says about 50-50 that either team could, could go through. I mean, Depending on Tunisia beating rotated France, probably not. Nope. But uh, Australia have surprised us. I think they'll be up for it. I think yeah. they'll be organized, as that's the word I used to describe them. I know that's a little cliched, but that's what they do. And they can play with the ball a little bit. That's what's surprising about them, is that they will attack Denmark and make Denmark defend. And this is a game where... Denmark set pieces are going to play a big role. They played yeah. a big role in Ecuador-Senegal. They played a big role in U.S.-Iran. That's the X factor for Denmark and part of the reason why they should get through. But if Australia follow the recipe they just used against Tunisia, it could work again. And I think we made this point when we talked about Australia after that Tunisia game that they won. They scored in both of their games playing this style, right? Yes. In both of their yes. games, they tried to stay organized. They tried to hit out. And they found the back of the net in both of those games. So I think that's a really interesting thing to watch out for. I think it's pretty hard to see anything but Denmark going through here. I know that Denmark were kind of disappointing against Tunisia when they drew that first game. They were better against France. They are the better team. They have more talent. And it's really hard to hold out against a team that is much more talented like Denmark are. Australia will probably be forced into playing at some point, and I don't know that that's going to go well for them. It's kind of hard for me to see past Denmark going through here. I agree with you completely. Denmark is position for position better than Australia across the pitch, and it's not close. Uh, and like I said, the set pieces are so good for them. That's how they scored against France, um, because they are so good at them. And if you're trying to dream up a scenario for Australia it's because Denmark while they're good at every position don't have game breaking talent yep. their game breaker is their set pieces but it's just too long of a match for Denmark not to get a goal at some point if if it's 0-0 the whole time Australia need to score at some point against their own a play like they've done twice and then defend for 90 minutes because that that goal they need protects them in the draw scenario. Right. They cannot get through this 0-0. They'll lose 1-0. They, they need to go through 1-0 or 1-1. And we'll see. I'm with you. I find a hard time uh, seeing Denmark uh, being kept off the score sheet like that. Big Harry Suter game, especially if set pieces are as, as important as you think they are. No, unironically, it's a big Harry Suter game. It's a big dude at the back for Australia. He's a guy that can erase set piece chances. France play Tunisia. Um, France haven't technically won the group yet, but they have won the group because they're France and they have a huge goal differential and they're playing Tunisia. Expect France to rotate here. This game could be kind of blah. Tunisia need win and significant help to go through. It feels like they blew their opportunity against Australia. They did totally. Uh, I think this is similar to England-Wales type of game. And I think France will slowly go through their paces and find out a way to score. Uh, I suppose chaos can always happen 
But if you're looking at the candidates for chaos, this is low on my list. Tunisia only needs to win and have there be a draw in Australia, Denmark. So that's right. but but if at any point they're winning, then the teams in the other game know yeah. that too, which yeah. was the case today. But yeah, it's they also I, haven't scored a goal yet in yeah, this tournament. They haven't scored a goal, and France have been playing very well. Yeah. Um, and I think France is motivated. I know a loss wouldn't hurt them, but I just I don't I don't think they want a loss no. clouding the vibes at all. France was a team I circled right away for bad vibes candidate. And of all the teams that were, most of them have been bad, but they have been good. Vibes yes. have been good for France. Let's yep. not sully that with a, a wasted result against Tunisia. Also, as a general rule, colonizers do not like losing to former colonies. <laughs> as, unless you're England. No, they haven't <laughs> lost. They, 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 have, they can't beat them, but they... <laughs> that's a good rule. It's a good rule. Um, no, it's a little, it's a little charge for sure, but Tunisia have been huffing and puffing and not a lot of blowing the house down. No. Uh, I hope for their sake, they deserve a goal at this world cup, but they might not get one. Yeah. And like the worst thing that can you, you can do against this France team is get opened up. And that's probably what's going to happen in this game. All right. A bit group C will close things out tomorrow. It is finally poised. All four teams with legitimate chances to go through, some better than others. Uh, This is a super interesting group and really the first time in this World Cup that we will have double barrel final group action, right? There were obviously chances for Wales to go through. There will be a chance for Tunisia to go through tomorrow. But this is the first time that all four teams will be playing and all will have plausible, legitimate chances to go through. Let's start with Argentina-Poland. It kind of feels like Argentina know the script by now. They know what they need to do against these type of teams. And now I'm going to give you the news that it looks like Enzo Fernandez might not start for Argentina tomorrow. And that worries me. It does, but it's a 90 minute match and they might want to. Every manager in all the moments where we've been saying, be aggressive. You need all 90 minutes to get the result. They just, they, they operate in a different set of rules. Enzo Fernandez, if this game is not the way they want it, will come on in the second half and he'll immediately make it look better. But until that happens, yes, we, you and I can both be worried. Uh, this is going to be extremely similar to the Mexico game. Um, Poland are perhaps a bit better equipped than Mexico to threaten on the counter. Obviously, you have to respect Robert Lewandowski, but Poland are no better than Mexico, I think, at defending in a low block. And Argentina clearly understand the assignment and Argentina are a team whose vibes fluctuate wildly and the vibes right now are good. The vibes are good after Messi saved them. So I think they'll be okay, but you know, this group is chaotic. It could go bad, but if things are bad, just okay. Sub on the good players. (laughs) <laughs> the worst case scenario. I know that's you're, you're asking you for danger. Think, I know you would just think just put the good players on from the start so things never go bad. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. This I, game I, is, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. This game is interesting because there is the threat of Lewandowski hanging on the other side. But like he hasn't been that great in this tournament. No, like he, he, he didn't has, do a whole lot he, on the counter against Mexico. Obviously, he scored the goal in the in the game. But like he hasn't been. It, Poland have not impressed me with the chances they've created so far in this tournament, right? Yes, that's the way to put it because he is a great finisher of chances. And he did well on his goal, but the chance was created by Saudi Arabia handing the ball to him 20 yards of goal. 
And yeah. that's he does what he does best. Poland have not fed him enough volume for him to do the thing he does best. And Argentina will know that. They will respect the game plan. It might be a little slow to start. We'll see when Argentina kick up their gear. Um, I think it's dangerous to count on Messi to do Messi things. Yes. But also, that's why he's there. Um, This is a good chance for Argentina to, right? I think there's a few tiers here. Tier one is get through, obviously, but they're in good shape to do that. So at minimum, don't, at minimum, do that. Tier two is do that and don't let it be sweaty. Just put together a good performance, get it. And tier three is give yourself momentum into the knockout stage because you haven't had it. And the other favorites have, are rolling. Brazil are rolling. France are rolling. England are rolling. You know, and Spain, we'll see, but I think they're they're getting there. So this is your chance to do that against Poland, a team that is exactly like what the other teams have, what Brazil have really dismantled a team like this twice. And did they get the 2-0 result against Mexico? Yes, but it was not exactly confidence building. So tier three is have a great performance and we feel much better about them as tournament favorite. Because if it's tier one, I cannot in good conscience call them a favorite heading into the round of 16. So that's where I'm at. But there is a chance that we're sitting there going, are Argentina going to get knocked out? We haven't had crazy scramble favorites on the ropes yet in day three. We've only had one day of day threes, but I don't think that'll be tomorrow, but you never know. I think, so two things with this game. One, I think Poland, yes, they are similar to Saudi Arabia and Mexico in that they're going to play back. I also think they're not nearly as athletic as those two teams are defensively, and that plays to Argentina's favor. I think they'll be able to stretch Poland a bit better because they have the better athletes in attack, and Poland are kind of big and slow. But Poland also have a good goalkeeper in Chesney. So let's see what happens there. Point two, Argentina need to win this group, right? Like, I understand your point. Like, oh, they need to make sure they get through above all else, and they do. That's accurate. But Argentina cannot be playing France in the round of 16. That is not something they can allow to happen for a second straight World Cup. And so to do that, they are going to need to win. And as long as they win, they're going to be fine. Because if they win, Saudi Arabia have to win by four goals in order for Argentina to not win the group. So the goal for Argentina tomorrow, for me, excuse me, I think I'm wrong there. They need to win by three goals because I had it as a 2-1 win. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if Argentina win by one goal, Saudi Arabia have to win by three goals to top them for the group. That needs to be Argentina's goal tomorrow. Come into this game with the intention and the expectation of winning it and winning the group and not playing France in the round of 16. Yeah. End of story. We're we're on the same page, and they should do it. Other two teams in this group, Saudi Arabia and Mexico, have different goals because their goal and success for them would both be getting out of the group. Although if Mexico had to play France in the round of 16, that would be rather unfortunate for the team that can't win a round of 16 match. But they would probably shake your hand at that point because they've been so bad at this tournament. One of three teams to not score so far, Mexico, Tunisia, Uruguay, are the three teams who haven't scored yet at this tournament. Can Mexico score tomorrow against Saudi Arabia? I hope so. They absolutely can. They absolutely should. And if they at any point get Saudi Arabia to play a lot, Saudi Arabia will gift them some chances because that's what they do. Um... (laughs) But this is this is it for Mexico, right? They this team and Tata have been kind of ill omened from the start. It has been inauspicious That's this whole cycle. Yeah, it's just been it's been bad vibes for a long time. And despite all of that, 
no one wants to have the stink of being the Mexico team to not get out of the group stage. Right. That is what we started with when we talked about this team with John Arnold uh, back a few weeks ago. And here you go. You got to beat Saudi Arabia. And then if Mex- if Argentina take care of business, which is a fair thing to count on, then you're, you're good. So it's interesting. Mexico need goal differential swing to go in their favor. But the positive for them is that can come one of two ways. Doesn't just have to be Mexico putting goals past Saudi Arabia. If Argentina put goals past Poland, that's a good thing as well. So motivated Argentina team, which Mexico have, that's a plus sign for them in this game. They will. I think Mexico probably need to try to win this game by three goals. Three. That's going to be difficult considering they've scored zero so far this tournament. That I think should be their goal: win it by three. That's going to be hard for them. I'm interested to see what Tata does to try and set his team up to score. Because he hasn't necessarily had to do that yet this tournament, right? Like it was yeah, he's played for drops twice. Yeah, the approach against Poland, I think they they tried to score, they took the initiative a little bit, but they weren't desperate to score. A draw was an okay result against Argentina. They had no interest in scoring until the very end of that game. Didn't work. This game, they have to start the game with the intention of scoring and with being on the front foot. So I, I'm intrigued to see what combination Tata puts out there to try and do that. Harvard Ardemit has a huge opportunity here for Saudi Arabia. He can get them out of the group. Can he do it? He absolutely can for the reasons we just talked about. The Mexico vibes are bad. Tata has not set his team up yet to play. And if they are going to come and play, which they will, Mexico will be open in the back for the first time. Mexico have not been open through two games. And they got done in by a messy wonder goal because that's what Messi does. So the chance is there. And Argentina should not have been open in that second half, but they weirdly were because the game was chaotic and Saudi Arabia were lucky to get two goals. But this is a game where I said for the second game in the row, they don't need as much luck. They just need good attacking play. And it's going to be risky. It's a knife's edge, right? The more It's you super spend- interesting because both teams need to win this game. Right. Yes. Saudi Arabia's they're probably not getting through with a draw unless Argentina put a lot of goals past Poland. So the, this game is interesting from the aspect of both teams from the start probably need to go and win it. And that should create an interesting match. Yes, I think Saudi Arabia will cede control to Mexico and try to attack the space Mexico creates, especially yes. where their fullbacks go. And obviously the goal changes it. The goal, I think. Change For the team that goes down, it gets worse because the more they commit, the more vulnerable they are. So <laughs> maybe we'll see a little bit caginess because no team wants to do that. But for the exact reason you said, it's in everyone's interest to go score. Yeah. So this is really finely poised. You obviously like Mexico's chances. Uh, I like their chances, but I'm not sure they'll get three. And the longer it goes, the harder it is to get three. But maybe it's a case of, okay, you just just wait, wait. We don't want to give up one. And then when the dam breaks, the dam breaks. Then we go. Yep. So this is a very interesting case study in aggression and timing and decisions from Tata, also from Renard. I don't know. I'm not sure if either of these teams will go through. Is that is that yeah. a, is that an nope. acceptable outcome? That's what I, I think will happen. All right. I think that's interesting. I think it's also interesting in that this game could also be determined by what's happening in the other game, right? Like yes. if Argentina start putting a lot of goals past Poland, then things get interesting because 
Saudi Arabia could then play for a draw. Mexico could play for a slender win and they wouldn't need to score a ton. So it's interesting what will happen between Argentina and Poland and how that will determine what happens in this game between Mexico and Saudi Arabia. All right, put you on the spot. Denmark going through in Group C alongside France. Group D, excuse me, alongside France. Yes. I think so as well. This group, how do you see it? I have Argentina winning, and I think Saudi Arabia get it done and go through in second. Ooh. Uh, I I think Mexico will score two and desperately need a third goal and won't get it, and it'll be really heartbreaking, but it won't be because they didn't try. Uh because I think they're Mexico are good enough to do it, but wow. three is a lot. Three is a lot. So uh, that would send Argentina and Poland through, yes? Yeah, that would be Argentina topping the group, assuming you're predicting an Argentina win, and then yes. Poland going through in second by the skin of their teeth. If he, sorry, we talked about this for a few minutes. If Argentina win 2-0, how yep. many goals do Mexico need? So if Argentina win 2-0 and Mexico win by 2-0 as well, it would be tied on everything. And so then I... <laughs> think it would probably go to fair play points. And I'm not oh, sure man. where that situation is. If Argentina win by two and Mexico win like 3-1, then Mexico would go through on more goals scored. Yeah. If Argentina win 3-1 and Mexico win 2-0, Mexico or Poland would go through because of the goal scored situation. Yeah. So, so okay. It's very, very, very complicated. Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to, to talk through now. It'll, be understand it will be we'll understand it as it happens i stick with my prediction of argentina and poland um but you think mexico gets close yeah i think they get close also personally i am rooting for them um i know i'm a u.s fan but i i i want to see mexico do well i just i can't escape the vibes yeah the vibes are bad not scoring a goal in two games also not a great sign for your team all right, that's it for us on this edition of World Cup After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll be the happy one tomorrow with Argentina. A resounding performance to go through fine. Not even thinking about other potential possibilities. If they lose, they're done. That's a scary thought. Don't like thinking about that. Not going to think about that. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening, as always.